Well, that's that's the thing about a co-op. They're structurally abled to be responsive, and sometimes they actually are. Welcome to episode 434 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. A quick note before we begin. Please check out our new show, Connect This, where Chris hosts broadband veterans and industry experts live on YouTube to talk about recent events and dig into the policy news of the day. Check out our website at muninetworks.org with more details about the show, including an audio-only version of each episode. This week on the podcast, Christopher talks with two members of the City of Sandwich, New Hampshire's Broadband Advisory Committee, Chair Julie Dolan and Member Richard Knox. They join us to discuss the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative's recent vote to add broadband to its charter. Sandwich is a particularly poorly served town in New Hampshire, and they've been seeking solutions for a long time. In organizing around the Electric Cooperative in less than a year, local stakeholders forced to vote and barely lost, but in doing so, convinced enough people of the importance of quality internet access that a second vote at the beginning of October pushed the co-op into the business. Julie and Richard share with Chris how it all unfolded and what it means moving forward. Now here's Christopher talking with Julie and Richard. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today, on an election day, we're going to talk about an election, and it's going to be a fun one. You'll see why in a second. But I want to bring in uh, two folks that were very involved with this, two members of the Broadband Advisory Committee uh, for Sandwich, New Hampshire. Uh, Chairperson of the committee, Julie Dolan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And we also have Richard Knox, who uh, both is on that committee, and he'll tell us about another organization he helped to found to push for better broadband. Um, Richard, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Glad to be here. So I'm I'm excited to talk to you. I've been I've been in touch with you for uh, for some time just to get a, a sense of what's going on. Um, but tell us a little bit about the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative. And before we get into the broadband, just you know, more generally, New England doesn't have a lot of cooperatives, so it's a little bit rare. But uh, what's its size and and what's its relevance? It was founded about 81 years ago, you know, 1939, which is when electric co-ops around the country we were getting started because uh, uh, investor-owned companies weren't so interested in stringing rural areas for electricity. And um, it now is um, serving 115 towns in New Hampshire, maybe a third of the towns, and uh, has about 84,000, 85,000 members, obviously like most cooperatives, uh, we members own it. And... um, they are a pretty robust company, I gather. They they uh, are well-funded and the service is pretty good and they have a great track record. And they're only recently being, uh, uh, well, initially pushed and now uh, seem to be enthusiastic about getting into broadband. Yes. And before we get there, I want to ask Julie to tell us just a little bit about Sandwich, uh, since a lot of our story will be around that area. What's Sandwich like in New Hampshire? Sandwich is a very rural um, mountainous, tree-covered, 100-square-mile town, right smack dab in the center of New Hampshire. We're north of the the um, major tourist lakes and just south of the White Mountain National Forest. Actually, our town encompasses thousands of acres of the um, White Mountain National Forest. Um, so we're sparsely populated. We're a town of about 1,300 
full-time residents, we do have quite a hefty summer population. Our population can um, more than triple to about 5,000 probably in the summer. Um, we do, we are on the shores of a lake, Squam Lake, which is famous for its use in the movie On Golden Pond back in the 80s. And so it's a beautiful but very rural town. And years ago, about 30 years ago, a cable company, cable TV company, wanted to come to town and string cable, but the town, they wanted to only go to the very town center, which was more densely populated. They didn't want to go to the outlying, more rural areas. And the town fathers said, no, if you're not going to cover the whole town, we don't want you here. So we've never had cable TV. And the only internet that we have available is through DSL, which is 40 to 50 year old copper wires, very corroded that um, is a very unreliable service where I live I can only buy three megabits per second so that's our speed and it, it's very unreliable and it goes out a lot so it's been a challenge for us obviously and our committee was formed by the board of selectmen back in May of 2019 to explore ways to try to resolve the problem which is a major problem for a lot of our residents and then COVID hit and what was a challenge now has become a crisis. We had obviously, like everyone, we have students who are trying to learn from home. We have parents that are trying to do their work from home. And all of that, that has to be done with a computer that is um, unreliable. We have poor bandwidth. People have to um, kind of fight for computer time. They have to drive, like we are now, we are in the, in the adjacent town in the library using their internet because neither one of us has enough internet to do this from our home computers. So we are together now in the in the library in the in Moultonboro. So um, it, it's such a problem. We hear of students that are parents that are driving their students to libraries and fast food restaurants to sit in the parking lot and use their internet. Um, we've had um, obviously, people are trying to get their work done, and it's very non-rewarding. We did hold some listening sessions back in the summer before COVID to gauge interest as to where pe how people felt about this issue, and there was overwhelming support to try to get this problem tackled. Um, but we've run up into a lot of walls, I'm afraid. Sure. And let me just put my finger on the scale. I've uh, spent some time up in that area. I did some rock climbing for several um, years in a row um, at Rumney, did some camping um, during those trips. And and that part of New Hampshire has possibly my favorite diner in the whole world. It's been a long time since I've been there, but we just, we loved everything about that area whenever we would head that way. So uh, it's a wonderful area. Um, just to place us uh, for people who don't know New Hampshire, we're about an hour north of uh, the state capital of Concord. We're about two hours north of Boston. Right. And um, and it's just, it is a, a, a beautiful area. We're about due, due west, I mean, um, due east from Rumney, and mm -hmm. uh, the train's very similar. Right. So now the, the remarkable thing is that a year ago, the electric cooperative seemed like it was saying, no way, no how, we don't want to get involved in broadband to now 
being quite enthusiastic about it. And I, I feel like your uh, grassroots campaign is responsible for that with some some ups and downs along the way. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but let me ask you, uh, I think, Julie, you started, you mentioned that you had a, a town meeting to talk about these sorts of things. But but uh, Richard, let me ask you then to, to fill in, how did you first get involved in, in sort of advocating around broadband here in the area? My my wife has got a, had a lifelong connection with Sandwich, and we intended for years to to move here once we retired, which was about five years ago from Boston. <laughs> we like many people who move here, um, we didn't we were kind of blithe in advance about whether we would have adequate internet, and it, and we we got on a a wireless um, local co-op or nonprofit uh, that used called Cyberpine uh, that used tall white pines, which rise above the rest of the forest as their towers to transmit. And for a while that was okay, but it, it, it increasingly uh, wasn't okay. And then we, you know, ran up against the fact that there really weren't any other alternative except the <laughs> DSL. And um, so we signed up for that with Consolidated Communications, the local phone company. And, um, and that has deteriorated quite a lot over the last few years. Uh, <laughs> just case in point today, we are able to talk to you uh, uh, only because, as Julie mentioned, we went to the next town over um, because most of Sandwich apparently has no internet service this morning uh, through uh, consolidated DSL. And I, I always uh, hesitate to call their tel- their phone tech support because it can be a very frustrating and, and lengthy uh, and not always very productive conversation. But this morning I did because I wanted to talk to you and um it was a very frustrating conversation in which they said, "There's you're in an outage area. And I said, well, how big is the outage area? And, and they couldn't tell me. They said, New Hampshire. Um, and when I asked to talk to a supervisor, she said, well, I can put you on a supervisor call list, but I first have to get permission from my supervisor to put you on the list. And after a while, she came back and said, uh, the permission has been denied. <laughs> so I, I don't know how widespread it is, but from our local community bulletin board, it seems as though a lot of people are without service and have been for a few days. And they say that I shouldn't expect anything before November 2nd. So um, that's that tells you a lot about where we are and, and how desperate people here are to do just ordinary everyday things. And Julie, let me let me jump in with you then. Um, at what point did it become clear that the um, New Hampshire Electric Cooperative offered a solution for these challenges? Well, I guess I want to start by saying that initially, they offered no solution at all. They were polite, but um, very dismissive and um, had the reasons that they weren't going to get into the broadband business. They certainly never denied that they would help facilitate our moves forward, which at the time were trying to find a company that was willing to deploy fiber internet and do it by funding it through the town, by using our municipal borrowing power, taking out a bond and having a company come in, set up the internet, provide the ISP. But as we got bids for that process, as our committee went along and um, put out RFIs and RFPs and went through the process of evaluating different providers, and there weren't very many, it became clear that this was a very expensive proposition, which is certainly why for-profit companies are not interested in coming here. It's expensive and the return on investment is small. 
So we would have ended up having to take out a three to $4 million bond to, to float. And hopefully it would have been repaid by the company that came in by user fees, but that would still happen over a 20 year time frame in which the town would be liable if something didn't work. So, so it was a very risky proposition. Our whole town budget is less than $4 million. So it was gonna be a tough sell to the community and it was gonna be taking quite an inordinate risk if we were to go that way. So we did approach the co-op very early. As a matter of fact, I attended their board meeting one year ago in October to plead, beg for any type of help they could give us. At the time we were looking at a company that was willing to string fiber, but wanted to do so in the electric space. So we would have certainly needed co-op's blessing for that. And once again, they said, yeah, thanks for, but no thanks. And basically uh, said, yeah, bye. <laughs> so to pick up the narrative there um, and, and go back to your question about how the co-op got uh, involved, uh, there was a, a small group of us who are not, uh, you know, we, there's overlap between the town committee, the official town advisory committee, and this uh, citizen action group, um, we, which we now call ourselves uh, New Hampshire Broadband Advocates, um, that decided uh, last spring to get a, an item on the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative's annual uh, meeting, which is a sleepy affair that most people don't uh, pay attention to or vote in. Uh, to elect board members and, and we uh we got a petition and 845 signatures which is like almost twice as many as needed to get on the ballot with an, an uh a proposal to uh change the bylaws merely inserting the uh a clause saying that one of the purposes of the co-op shall be to facilitate broadband which is a pretty broad mandate but we wanted just to get it on there and the and the board of the co-op voted, um, uh, uh, I think, seven to three with one abstention to oppose that uh, petition drive and, you know, put out the word that it might raise your electric rates, which are sc scary for a lot of people. Um, and um, we put on a pretty broad campaign using every local local and statewide news outlet and social media and letters to the editor and whatever that we could think of and, and signs on the side of the road and everything. And uh, it requires two thirds to change the vote, two thirds of the voting members. We got 64.4%. So technically we lost, but within a week of that vote, the board um, uh, decided that it was a big enough signal that they formed a, a subcommittee of the board to look into uh, how they could do broadband. So that was a, it was a, a victory as it turned out. And what I like to do is uh, for people who are listening, I feel like it would be useful to get a sense as you're doing this campaign. And and I, and I think it's worth noting. I mean, this is something that was new for you, right? Like you you don't have a big history of organizing people and voting drives and things like that. Is that right? Not at all. <laughs> and, and Julie, similarly, I, I guess, Julie, let me ask you. Um, you know, what, what do you feel like worked well? And are there things that, that you would encourage other folks not to do as you're figuring out how to do this sort of a thing? Because we did go down a lot of alternate roads as the, as the broadband advisory committee, the town committee. But we are all lay people. None of us have a, any technical expertise as to how to conduct this. But we have a broad mix of 
of um, backgrounds on our committee. We have some business people. We do have some people that, that, are, that are very technical. We have a number of journalists. I'm a retired veterinarian. So it, we have a, a, lot of, a lot of broad knowledge, but no specific ways to go. And, and I found that one of the most frustrating things when we first started the broadband committee is the lack of general information that's out there. There seem to be a lot of local grassroots efforts, but it sure seems like people are kind of bumping around in the dark until they finally find something that can work for them. And I, I do almost wish that we had pushed the co-op harder right from the get-go, but I, I think COVID unfortunately is kind of what broke the camel's back. I mean, literally, it became such a crisis, our internet situation. And then um, CARES funding became available, and we scrambled around to try to get to some of that, had a terrible debacle with the state, um, ultimately lost out on funding that probably could have gotten this job done. But that was just a kind of a comedy of errors that just didn't work out. But in the meantime, this the grassroots effort, the the broadband advocates group have certainly been the driving force in, in the change that's happened in the co-op. And that has been completely miraculous. They've certainly known that our committee is there. And Sandwich, we have worked very hard at publicizing our problems. We've been on all the local news channels We've had articles published here and there. We've had we've been on the radio with New Hampshire Public Radio. Um, we've had we have come up with our own publicity. I call it being loud and proud. We are <laughs> basically a group of rabble rousers who will not back down. So it takes some tenacity, certainly, to to keep trying to move forward. And you have to do that in a committee format where. You have to abide by municipal rules and you have to all come to some kind of um, consensus, which can be contentious. <laughs> so um, it, it, it can make it difficult to deal with personalities who may want to, who have a different idea about which direction to go in. Especially in New Hampshire, which I think has a history of believing the best representative body is everyone representing themselves, right? <laughs> yes, I think yeah, we, we, have the, we have the largest uh, house of representatives in the, in the nation. We are very independent, yes. The grassroots part of this um, was a really very small group of people initially. We got a lot of signatures, but in terms of people who were driving it, it has no budget. And we, we pointed up uh, $550 out of our own pockets to, to run a series of spots in advance of that June election uh, on national, I mean, uh, New Hampshire Public Radio, which has the best coverage. You know, we just did it all ourselves. And I think what we had on our side, as Julie mentioned, is the, the increasing salience of the issue that the pandemic brought. You know, it just was, it was uh, timing as, as, as ever, in everything in life, I guess, was uh, very important so that there, we had a receptive audience, not only in terms of desperate uh, consumers, but interested media. And to, for the timing, to be clear, you started your campaign before, uh, I mean, it was in 2020. So we knew that there was this um, illness out there in, in Asia at that time. But uh, you had the vote, I believe, in the summer when after it was June, the first one. And then the second one this fall, which we can talk about if you'd like. 
Yes. So, so basically, I mean, it, just to recap, you you go to a lot of effort to try to rally people. You get just within one point six percent of where you needed, and and at that point, um, the the board uh, and the manager uh, get a sense. Well, we need to do something on broadband, and uh, and they decide to move forward. And I I just happened to pick up a. We listened to a podcast about this uh, interviewing the manager, and he was saying at that time oh well we don't need to change our bylaws anyway we're gonna we're gonna be doing this and it felt like he didn't want to necessarily credit all of the hard work y'all put into it um but but what happens in that in that time period then over the summer that uh, things change again well i think it's important to note that um that there was a difference of, of opinion within the co-op's board leo dwyer who's a selectman in Sandwich, you know, the, the three people who run the town as a board member of the co-op and had been for the last couple of years. And he's a very strong proponent of, of broadband for us. Um, he's also the liaison between the uh, broadband advisory committee and, and the selectmen. So that was a, a, a great advantage. And then secondly, uh, the, the the board chairman uh, was well disposed towards uh, having the co-op uh, explore this and see what the feasibility was of them getting into the business. Third, we, uh, through this campaign that, um, that uh, tried and failed to change the bylaws in June, we, we did uh, help elect uh, another very strong uh, broadband proponent to the board. So those, those were sort of the inside uh, uh, advantages we had, as well as the pressure from the outside. And I think we have to give uh, that board uh, all of them, um, the 12 member board, uh, a lot of credit for being responsive to that 64.4% positive vote. And then, and then subsequently that they really did pay attention. And I, I was quite amazed that, um, by losing, we, we got things really going. I think, I think that's really important. And it's not the first time I've heard that. I, I, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted to interview you was to make sure, you know, people have a sense that um, that there's a there's a path here, and and even if you lose, you might win, and in some cases, um, you might even win and lose. Who knows? <laughs> but well, that's that's the thing about a co-op is that you have you know that they, they're structurally abled <laughs> to be responsive, and sometimes they actually are. It may may take some pushing, it may take some you know it doesn't happen all at once, but over time and with a, with outside circumstances. Uh, and persistence, um, you, you know, it, it really does work better than I would have thought. Now, Julie, you mentioned the disappointment about the CARES Act funding, um, not uh, the, the there's a, a situation in which there was money that was available, it was not able to be spent in Sandwich. And that, to me, raises an interesting question that's related, which is, you know, how do you deal with this situation where you get your hopes up and then you it doesn't work out and then you get your hopes up? And, you know, where do you find the energy to, to keep moving forward on this issue? I just go home and try to get on my Internet. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's a daily motivation. It's so frustrating. <laughs> and, and I'm retired. I basically check my email and read the news and watch some funny videos. I mean, I can't watch Netflix. I can't download. I can't stream a movie. And I'm old and I have asthma and I stay home. I don't do well. I work around my house, but we don't go anywhere. My husband and I are older and we both have health issues and and there's a nasty virus out there. And we're we're trying to be extremely careful. 
So I can only imagine what it's as a veterinarian. I, I was I was the vet for the whole town. I, I know so many people and I know what they're going through. I know their kids. I know um, they're my neighbors and I know what they're trying to deal with. And I, I know it's hard for me and I can't imagine how difficult it is for them. And I have the time now, I'm retired. So um, I, I, I'm not doing anything noble. I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm on a couple of other town boards. I've, I've just laid down the veterinary scalpel and I've picked up the, the rabble rousing gene, I guess. And it, it keeps me busy and my mind occupied. And, and, and so I work with the town, but, um, but it's been frustrating. And you hit the nail on the head when you said about the ups and the downs, we have come so close to having everything just right for us only to have it completely dashed. And so it has been a roller coaster. And once again, the dichotomy of what it was like for me to attend the co-op board meeting a year ago in October. And then this October, just like this Tuesday, I attended virtually. Um, I once again, could only do it by audio because I can't, I don't have enough internet to do it by video, um, attended the New Hampshire Electric Co-op board meeting, and they gave me a round of applause for being <laughs> a board in their side, and and they have done a complete 180. I feel like I'm best friends now, not necessarily with the board, but I think I, I, think I am with them now, but I, I certainly wasn't their favorite person, and I wasn't the, the CEO's favorite person but we have just kept harping. We have just been in their face and um, continuing to talk about the issue. And, and certainly it was much easier to do when COVID hit. So um, I, I don't like to use the term of never let a good pandemic go to waste, but um, we're trying hard to make something positive out of this terrible situation that we're all going through. As the Chinese character goes, I, I gather that, uh, Crisis and opportunity are are the, the same, uh, the same idea or the same uh, uh, concept. That you know, a crisis mm -hmm. does provide some opportunities that might not come along otherwise. I just want to note that across the different podcasts and things like that, I've done I think approaching five hundred or more interviews, and that might be my favorite answer to a question ever, which is a very nice way of saying, "You moron! I have to live with this every day." Of course, I'm motivated. <laughs> So I, I very much appreciate oh. that. You... <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to call you a moron. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, it was uh, it was just if you read it closely, I think. Um, but it was uh, it was terrific. So um, thank you for that. Sorry, I interrupted you, Dick. Go ahead. That, that's okay. I uh, I tend to talk too much. I I think another instance of how effective this has been, and uh, surprising ourselves, <laughs> um, this this whole campaign over the last four, five, six months. Um, in getting the co-op uh, to uh, turn around 180 degrees. Another example is that when they just, when they began to explore getting serious about it and getting into the business, their lawyers discovered that, in fact, they did need to change their bylaws in some respects in order uh, to be able to invest in infrastructure and make decisions without going out every time to the whole membership for a vote, which obviously would be uh, uh, impossibly unwieldy. So... They uh, called a special election for this fall, and uh, they came to me and our little group and said, well, you did such an effective job in raising the rabble before. Could you help us with uh, this campaign? So we said, well, sure. 
Uh, and so we did it again. And, and this time, it, the, the vote was announced just a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were 88.4% of the voting members who said, yes, we want you to do this. We will change your bylaws in order to enable you to do this. And also uh, important to note is that more people voted in this special election, which is you know, hard to get uh, anybody to pay attention to, like 30% more than voted in June. And that was 23% more, more than voted the previous June. So I think that's, that speaks some volumes about the, the response of the co-op, the response of the co-op members, I mean, when can you think of, an, of a, a ballot initiative that ever got 88% of anything? So it's, um, it's been quite, you know, I, like, I like, like to use the tagline, democracy can work sometimes, you know, if all the, if all the stars are aligned and you really um, are talking about something that people f- feel a great need for. So that's where we're, that's where we are today. And I, I look forward to, I hope in a year we'll see still more progress where we'll be able to chat, check in with you and find out that, that you have a sense of when it's all going to be built and you're going to be connected and, um, and you can move on to, um, to greater problems <laughs> that you'll be able to solve from your couch, hopefully. Yeah, I hope I hope we can give you some really positive news. I mean, this has all been um, uh, very heartening, but it doesn't mean that people have the service yet. I think 2021 is going to be terrifically important. Uh, we hope that they'll, you know, our town and others in New Hampshire who are hurting will benefit from the, I think it's something like $68 million that's earmarked from the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund and that reverse auction that's imminent. It's actually about $16 billion. And, and yes, some of your areas are, are eligible. And so hopefully that will um, you know, uh, move the needle and get things going for you. But I just want to make sure people heard the number. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah our, our, our share is, um, you know, in fact. Oh, so that's what you were saying. Yeah, right. Okay. Thank yeah, you. I, let me clarify. The, uh, the co-ops, um, New Hampshire, I think, is earmarked for something like $68 million out of that $16.4 billion. Um, and the co-ops area, service area, I think is something like around $50 million. Um, so uh, we hope that uh, some of that money will flow that will make some things possible. Well, we are also exploring USDA grants. Um, we are hoping that there'll be another relief, a COVID relief package. Our governor put in $50 million to do broadband. They only spent $13 million because of the stringency of the application process that we once again lost out on. But we'd like to hope that there'll be another relief package coming. And, and this is on our governor's agenda, certainly, as well as our, our federal delegation. He's a Republican, by the way. And this really does have, I think, some legs in both sides of the aisle, both in- Yeah, uh, there's bipartisan support for this. So I guess timing, once again, like Dick said, has to is quite an issue on this. You have to, you do have to work hard to figure out how you can make use of the funding that's out there. Yes, and I I think the work that you've done should put you at the front of the list if there's new funding available. Just uh, you'll if be not, more prepared. If not, we'll be and bloody murder. Yeah, they, they don't. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not relaxing that effort. <laughs> we, we threaten them now. You're going to get a call from Julie unless you get this done. <laughs> That's wonderful. This is this will be running on Tuesday. So um, it's a good good election year um, uh, fodder, good election day fodder. Well, it's, it's going to be a happy election story, at least. 
Um, Don't say that. <laughs> nobody, well, nobody knows what anyone's politics are. So, you know, yeah, there, there's going to be some people happy, some people unhappy. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm talking about I'm talking about our, our election, the, right. uh, the co-op election. Oh, okay. No matter what happens in the rest of the world, uh, this is a positive thing. And once again, I can't I can't commend the co-op enough for their change in attitude. It has been remarkable. When, when at first we met with them, we were hit with uh, the CEO and their lawyer. That's Those are the only people that would talk to us. Yes, and I, I think one of the things that we probably should focus on is that you didn't make them the enemy, right? <laughs> this was always no. focused on the issue. We had a grassroots effort, but we also kept our lines of communication open. Mm-hmm. Um, our broadband committee, mostly via the CEO, but but we did find that we had to get to the board. And, and sometimes that can be a, a tough job, getting past the management to the board. So you have to get to the board. It does have a salutary effect if you just show up. Right. Yeah. Just if you just keep your face in there and they go, oh, God, it's her again. But, you know, they they'll know that you're going to keep harping on your issue. So was it persistence then that did let you, that allowed you to break through to the board? Do you think, feel like, was that a big key? I, I think, I think that's a hindsight question, but in hindsight, I'd say, yes, we've been very persistent. Yeah. Well, I mean, the votes, the votes counted. <laughs> and we've been, we've been very public and very vocal, even before COVID. We have made this an issue right from the get-go. But I want to put in a plug for my <laughs> my pet issue, which is communication. I, I'm a journalist. I've, I've written uh, and reported for 50 years on healthcare and medicine and, and that stuff. Um, so I, I believe strongly that communication is very important. Good communication is is important and necessary. And it's a sort of a, a sine qua known for getting anything anything done. Uh, I I think this shows that. Um, that's really the most important thing is to get the arguments out there. For instance, when the co-op says, well, it's going to raise your rates. Well, we could come back and say, no, there are other co-ops that have done this and, and they're doing fine. They, they uh, just this past week and an, another instance in which this illustrates how the co-op has changed, they um, unanimously, unanimously passed a, a resolution in support of the broadband effort that has many whereases. Uh, detailing the uh, results of a feasibility study that they did by the NRCT that came in saying, you can do this. You're well positioned to do this. It's not going to harm your electric business or raise their rates. Uh, You're in a strong enough position. And, you know, that that was important. And they put that out. And uh, again, it, it shows you just how much things have changed in the past few months, really. No, I think this are, those are very good points that we, we want to include in this. And and that actually reminds me of one that, that, that Dick, you suggested that I should uh, poke Julie about, which is, uh, what does it mean to think like a dog? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it speaks to what you were talking about of our roller coaster ride. Um, and as a veterinarian, I, I used to tell people, people get so worried about what's going to happen, how things are going to unfold. I used to say that people in general and women in particular want to know how it's all going to unfold. And that, and it especially comes true when people have a tough decision to make about their pet usually. And, and that's where I would say, you know, you just need to think like a dog, 
just worry about where your next meal's coming from and don't get too hung up on everything else. Just, <laughs> just keep your eye on the prize on the next thing that you have to worry about, which is where your next meal is coming from and, and let the other stuff just come after that. But so I don't think it's anything important. It's just, it's just like you spoke to, it's just what gets me up and going again after we've just been knocked down because something else isn't going to work. You dust yourself off and you just go, okay, where's my next meal coming from? I think that's a great place to, to end it. So thank you both for all your time today. This has been a really fun conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I hope we can have more. That was Christopher talking with Julie Dolan and Richard Knox. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 434 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.